morning, church. Happy to be with you. My name is Austin. I am the youth and young adults pastor here at Branches, and I have the joy of bringing God's word this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where the text will be from this morning. If you need a Bible, you can raise a hand, and Usher will bring one to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, as many of you are aware, Lent began last week. And at youth nights with my students, I was talking to a few of them about Lent, and one of them asked me, Austin, what are you giving up for Lent this year? To which I responded, I'm actually doing Lent's try-hard older brother called Exodus 90. Exodus 90 being instead of 40 days, it is 90 days before Easter. And instead of just giving up one thing, you give up many things. And I'm not into it at all. Guys, I'm so over it. We're like halfway done, and I'm so not into it anymore. Like, we're in a group chat. There's about 20 of us, and we're all just dying together. And now I'm going to explain to you all what Exodus 90 is, not as a flex, but as a warning. Like, don't do it. Like, why would you do this? Here's the list of many things. First one, an hour of prayer and Bible every day. I can get behind that. That's awesome. Some days it's pretty hard to do an entire hour at the beginning of the day, but it's always beneficial. It's always fruitful. Fasting weekly. I'm still in. I'm still into this. But then cold showers only. By choice. At 10 p.m. In the winter. Horrible. Exercise three times a week. Avoid unnecessary smartphone use, so no social media, no unnecessary computer use, so no YouTube, no video games, no TV, no alcohol, no soda or sweets, no snacking in between meals, no desserts, no sweets, Christian music only, no unnecessary purchases, so stay off Amazon, and no smiling, basically. Like, how could you smile after all of that? It's a lot of rules, right? However, there is one day a week when you get to be lenient on one of these things. On your Sabbath, you get to be lenient on one of these disciplines. But here's the thing. Within the group of 20 guys, there's two guys that have done this Exodus 90 before. And we call them the leaders of this group. They didn't choose this title, but we have called them Father Grant and Father Jaron. Neither of them are fathers, but they have inherited this title for having done it before. And here's the thing about Father Grant and Father Jaron. They have different ideas about how to do an Exodus 90 Sabbath. While Father Grant says to be just lenient on one discipline, Father Jaron says, let the floodgates be opened. Enjoy, be merry, do whatever you like. So can you guys all guess, based on my tone in which I'm talking about this, which father I follow? The latter, of course. But you see, there's a clear it's clear that there's some differences of opinion. Some people are going to choose one leader over another, and it could be fine, or it could prove to be unhelpful depending on how people go about it, being with pride or with indifference toward a brother. But the main concern, however, is to not let differences of opinion sway us from the ultimate goals in Exodus 90, growing in discipline and growing in reliance on the Lord keeping the main thing the main thing. And you see, this is a similar problem to what Paul is facing with the church of Corinth. As some people, they were valuing one leader over another, following some leaders and their teachings while considering others to be obsolete. And Paul, he is beckoning with the church, church, 
Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep Jesus center stage on the throne in his rightful place. We cannot sideline Jesus as Lord because of our opinions, nor should we add anything that will actually take away from the message of the gospel. That church leaders, they're but servants to Jesus who is the ultimate master. Be right with Jesus, and then you will have the capacity to be right with other people. So this morning, church, let's dive into Paul's continued frustration with the church of Corinth, and may we search inwardly how we may grow, know Christ, and resemble Christ all the more so as we live as servants to him. Again, this is going to be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The words will also be up on the screen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of people's hearts. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Let's pray before we continue on. Jesus, I pray as we go through this text, you will highlight specific things to my brothers and sisters that they can walk away with, that they can grow all the more so in and become more and more dependent on you. We thank you that when you're Lord, we don't have to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul begins with making all things clear. Apostles, they are but servants. He's saying, I am not anything special. I am a servant to the Lord. And with that, he is also a steward. He is entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed, a steward being like the manager of a household. The steward is the master's deputy in regulating the concerns of the family. And we see there's a high calling on him as a steward for God. In verse 2, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So he has been given this trust. He has been entrusted with this from the Lord. Now he must be faithful in carrying it out. And you see, I've had a similar experience with being given a trust with an expectation to be faithful. Over the last 12 years, I have been a regular at multiple different coffee shops. It began with me going as a college student, going to OCC and then Vanguard and doing homework at these shops. And then later I would be going to the shops to be working on sermons, doing sermon prep, because God is there in the coffee shop. With the aroma of the coffee comes the aroma of Christ. Now a frequent experience you have when you're working at a coffee shop is someone next to you saying, hey, can you watch my stuff? What's never really mentioned is how long? Or what would the valid reasons be to cease watching their stuff? 
Like, I thought about it this week. Like, how far would I go in watching a stranger's laptop, drip coffee, and John Mark Comer book? How long am I going to watch their stuff? Like, say someone comes into the coffee shop and they're robbing the place. And I, I go underneath the table and I'm, like, hiding there with the person's stuff. And the person walks up to me and I go, this is awkward. I'm kind of watching this person's stuff, but my phone, my keys, my wallet, you can have this. Or say there's some type of natural disaster. There's a tsunami that comes in. The place is flooding. Do I try to find some type of table or something to float on top of while holding the person's stuff on top of my head? Or let's say they're gone for a really long time, like a really long time, and now I need to use the bathroom. Do I ask someone else to watch my stuff and the other person's stuff, like some kind of stuff watching Inception? Like how far do I go with all of this? For more realistic, what if my wife calls me and there's an emergency? Do I leave the person's stuff? I probably do. I leave like a little note that said, tried my best. But you see, for Paul, he was faithful to Jesus to the point of death. There wasn't a time limit on it other than his death. There weren't any reasons for him to stop until he was face to face with Jesus. And he actually nearly died many times before he finally did. His series of unfortunate events are found in 2 Corinthians 11.25. He writes, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And this doesn't include his many imprisonments and the time that he was bit by a snake. All that to say, Paul was faithful to death. He was given a trust by God, being entrusted with the mysteries of God and proved to be faithful despite all the hardship that he endured. And because Paul is living faithful to Christ, he declares in verse 3, I care very little if I'm judged by any human court. He says he doesn't even judge himself. He says, my conscience is clear. But even with that said, he humbly follows it with saying, doesn't mean I'm innocent, and that the Lord will ultimately bring the judgment. And Paul, he's declaring all this boldly because he's aware of the materials that he is building with, as he stated in the previous chapter, chapter three. Materials that when tested, they will prove long-lasting and beneficial as he's sharing the true, simple gospel. He's not adding anything flashy, not adding anything extravagant or extra. As he writes in 1 Corinthians 3.13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Paul recognizes that he is indeed a fallen sinner, but as he preaches the gospel as it truly is, he doesn't have to fear judgment of others. And how nice does that sound, brothers and sisters? Living a life where you don't have to fear the judgment of others. When we stay true to the gospel, adding nothing to it, we don't have to fear the judgment of others. For it's not our gospel. It's the Lord's gospel. And when we are affronted, we don't need to get offended, but rather just go to the open arms of our Savior. In verse 5, Paul then calls out the church on judging before the appointed time when God will test all things. He's asking, are you the arbiter at the end of all things? Who are you to judge? 
You don't even know when the end will be. You hardly even know what the next five minutes of this life will entail. Judge nothing before the appointed time. In a similar way, I experienced some secondhand hastiness. I was at my friend's house a few weeks ago, and we were having dinner together, and there was a sports game that was playing. Some athletic sports were on the television. And you see, this game, it ended up very heated. It was the Lakers versus the Warriors. Perhaps you watched this game, maybe you heard of this game. If you're not a sports fan, that's okay. I'm not either. But after this game, I kind of was. But either way, you don't need much sports knowledge for this story. Just imagine this. It's double overtime, and there's one minute left of the game. And the emotions are high in the room. All of us are talking at the TV. Why are we talking at the TV? We're all talking at the TV together. And my friend who I'm with, who I will not expose his name, he FaceTimes our worship pastor, Brian Albright, and he lets him know the Warriors are on the lead. To which Brian tells him, the game's not over. A few seconds after this call, D'Angelo Russell makes a three-pointer and the Lakers are now in the lead. And everyone's going crazy. But then there's 4.7 seconds left and Steph Curry makes a three-pointer shot and now the Warriors are in the lead. Everyone is going even more crazy. But then, 1.2 seconds left, LeBron James gets fouled and he gets two free throws. And as he does, LeBron was LeBroning, and the Lakers won the game. And at that moment, my friend, whose name I will not say, felt his phone vibrating, and he knew exactly who was calling him. He knew exactly what would follow. His hastiness was too evident. And now though Paul's integrity with his theology, it wasn't teeter-tottering like the Warriors lead, but the view of his leadership was based on the church of Corinth swaying from one teacher to another. Paul is saying at the end, when zero seconds are left, God and God alone will be the true and final judge. Not those in the church who were judging him. Just like the referees are the final judge at the end of the game, not those in the seats. At the end, Jesus will make the final call. At the end, Jesus will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, exposing motives. You see, when Jesus judges, it'll be according to the motives of the heart, not outward action. At that time, each person will receive their praise from God. Paul was waiting for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Nothing short of that would satisfy the next section, Paul applies what was said of himself and Apollos to the rest of the church, that they may learn from Paul the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what was written, that you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one leader over another. And what does going beyond what is written entail? Anything that isn't the gospel, essentially, not using standards beyond God's word for those who are preaching. You see a similar disillusionment happen on Yelp reviews. Yelp is a dark, dark place, ladies and gentlemen, where you truly get to see that we all fall short of the glory of God. I was looking at some Yelp reviews this week and saw one that was pretty unbelievable. It was pretty notable. It said, quote, well, I got caught shoplifting here. (laughs) 
I took a large container of hot soup and placed it in my backpack. It immediately spilled all over my stuff. I then tried to add a whole chicken and macaroni salad and, quote, the man saw me. I was then taken to the office and told not to come back. They wouldn't even let me use the bathroom to clean out my bag. How rude. Three stars. The audacity of the man not only to shoplift, but write a review that the shoplifting didn't go well. He was upset that at his experience of shoplifting, three stars, could have been better. Not gonna lie, could have been better, guys. This man was clearly going beyond what the store was offering. Buying the goods, that is an experience that you can rate on Yelp. But stealing the goods, that is a whole other thing. That is an absurd category to rate on Yelp. And in the same way, the church of Corinth was wanting Paul to accommodate to their own desires. They wanted less of what Paul had to offer, making false expectations of him as a steward of God's word and upset with them that he didn't fulfill them. Three stars, Paul, not what we're looking for. And unfortunately, this still happens today. People only listening to those who will check off all of their boxes. The preacher made me laugh, check. I was thoroughly entertained, check. The length of the message was at my standards, check. They dress in a style that I prefer, check. They align with my political views, financial goals, they are a dog owner, check, check, check. And all this, it's faulty if the gospel isn't preached. If we are not hearing the true, simple gospel of Jesus, the preaching is worthless. As Timothy Keller puts it, the gospel is like this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hoped. Amen. Romans 5.8, Paul writes, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Now we receive the grace of Jesus and walk out the grace of Jesus from now into eternity. If the gospel isn't preached, then it is a matter of bringing judgment. But if it is preached, praise God. Praise God, the giver of the good news that we have received. We rejoice when the gospel is shared, just as we rejoice when the angels in heaven, with the angels of heaven, when it is received. On Wednesday night at youth nights at the warehouse, we had 15 students give their lives to Jesus. They received the gospel. <laughs> Praise God. That's amazing. We rejoiced, and heaven had a party. The angels were rejoicing. The angels weren't doing Exodus 90, so they had a cake to celebrate. So church, don't get puffed up in being a part of one category of Christian over another. Having standards that go beyond what is written. Just be a Christian. Just be a little Christ operating with humility before God. And if humility is hard for us, what I recommend is we print out verse seven and we tape it to our bathroom mirror to read every day, where Paul writes, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? 
And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What a slice of humble pie. What do we do with this? We need to recognize that all that is good in us is Christ in us. That Christ was good for us, now we are good in Christ. We have now been made into right relation with the Father. Now we're to be consistent with that standing. We don't earn that standing before God. We can't. But now we must seek to live consistent with it. But how? Living as a servant of Christ and as a good steward of the grace we have received in him. And with that, as Shay talked about last week, we need to walk in humility. As a prideful Christian, that's an oxymoron. It takes grace to be saved. Grace being a gift, something that we cannot earn. And it takes humility to receive what you cannot earn. If we are without humility, then we are without grace. While pride is a wall that divides, grace is a walkway. We just need to walk into it. We just need to receive it. Now, it's one thing to say, hey, church, be humble. Hey, be humble. Like, okay, how? How do I do that? You see, a humbling experience is being before something that's beyond your abilities, something that's bigger than you. Like for me, I'm a surfer, but I don't surf very big waves. I have my limits. I usually max out at like as tall as me and that's about it. But there have been times when it's been big, big, like eight to 10 feet and it's terrifying. And when you're paddling out and you see a huge wave coming at you and it's about to break right on you, it humbles you. You feel small. You have a sense of awe and respect. You are confronted in your humble state. In a similar way, I find myself confronted in my humble state as I reflect on the mercies of God, realizing just how big God is, and with that, realizing how intentional he is toward me. Something I want to recommend to everyone, everyone who's a follower of Jesus, is journaling, writing down what God is doing in your life writing down the prayers that you pray, and then highlighting the prayers when they get answered, looking back on the faithfulness of God. Don't let an answered prayer go under wraps. We need to give glory to the one to whom glory is due. Like, we all will thank someone when we're given a gift, right? Like 10 times out of 10, when someone gives us a gift, you say thank you. Like, unless you're my one-year-old son, you would say thank you when someone gives you something. We need to give glory to the one to whom glory is due. And as you reflect on the mercy of God, humility will follow. As Paul writes, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So Branches Church, let's get into the habit of reflecting on the mercies of God, for with that, humility will follow. You won't be thinking less of yourself. You'll actually be seeing yourself in a greater light as you see how Christ sees you. But with that, you also won't be the main character in your life. You'll be aligned with reality, that Jesus is king. And from there, you'll begin to truly walk in humility as a servant of Christ and a steward to the grace that you've been given. Now we're gonna respond with a time of worship. Worship being that which aligns us with reality. 
what realigns us with reality. That Jesus is king, times of worship, they remind us of this truth. And when Jesus is king, we don't have to be on the throne of our lives. And honestly, it works out way better that way for God's glory and for our good. And with this time of response, it'll serve as a time of reflection where you can begin to journal where you are at with God and begin to reflect on his mercies, where you can sing out declarative praises of Jesus and his character and his faithfulness. You can raise your hands up as an outward expression of what you wanna do with your heart, lifting up your heart to God. Or even you can turn to the people around you and ask for prayer or begin to intercede for them, leaning on the Holy Spirit to give you each good word and each proper time. But however you choose to respond, choose to respond with intent as God has been so intentional to you. So will you all stand with me as we pray into this time of response? Even now, Jesus, I pray that you will bring your mercies to mind, that we may reflect on your faithfulness to us, that, Jesus, we will be humbled before you as we see time and time again you have been with us and you have been faithful. May we keep you as the main thing, Lord. May we not treasure anything above you. Rather, have you be the lens that we see all things through. Thank you that you give us clear vision. That when we look to you, we look to reality. And as we are in you, Lord, we can overcome all things. As you give us the capacity to endure. pray over my brothers and sisters in this time for a posture of humility before you. Be it laying anything that they have prized over you at your feet. Be it thanking you for your faithfulness as you, Holy Spirit, bring things to mind. Or even just be silently before you, Lord God, with hands lifted up, saying, I don't have anything to offer. I give you my heart. And Jesus, I receive you in full. Thank you, Jesus, that you fully gave of yourself. May I respond to doing the same. With this time, Jesus, may you be glorified and may we be realigned with reality. We pray this in your name. Amen.